Welcome to Before the Come Up. In this podcast, I sit down with a different member of the Columbia Business School class of 2023 each week. I learn about their backgrounds, their upbringings, and things that motivate them and drive them. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get right into it. Welcome to the 13th episode of Before the Come Up. I'm so excited to be joined by Spencer. Spencer, welcome. Hello, GT. Uh, my name is Spencer Borson. Yeah, nice nice to meet you. And of course, we've spent a lot of time together already. But uh, nice to meet you here in this room in a small little bunker here in Eurus. Uh It's a lovely <laughs> Friday. And uh, we were laughing before this started because uh, as it's the 13th, uh, for me, it's funny because uh, I was born on Friday the 13th, way back in the day, and funny enough, my younger sister was also born wow. two and a half years later on Friday the 13th, so for me, it's a lucky number, so I feel good about this. Yes, fantastic. I'm so glad, because I was actually worried. I'm like, oh my God, someone's got to be the 13th episode. For me, that is also one of my favorite numbers, so glad that we're both here, <laughs> positive, happy, 13th episode. So glad to be joined by you. So why don't you take some time to tell us a little bit about yourself. Start by telling us about your upbringing, your background, what it was like growing up as Spencer. Sure. Yeah. So I'm from Colorado originally. I grew up in Denver, right outside of downtown. Uh, So proudly a real Denverite. Uh, Grew up to a small, tight-knit family. I have one younger sister who's 25 and uh, my parents and a couple dogs running around from various points throughout that time. And and that was it. So um, I was fortunate that we were, uh, we all got along. Uh, my parents got along, which I think is a blessing that not everyone can have. Um, I get along with my sister, other than when we were younger, when we would bicker a lot, but now have a very good relationship and can go into some of those things a little bit more. But uh, yeah, very, very reasonable upbringing. My dad was a law professor at University of Denver. Uh, he, I think, chose this path sort of grew up, he's a little bit older, so grew up throughout the 60s and 70s, thinking a little bit more free-spirited, wanted to um, sort of correct some of the wrongs that he saw in his dad. Uh, His dad grew up and uh, was a first-generation American coming from the Russian-Jewish exodus that his his grandparents had faced, um, and I think sort of didn't find the right path uh, down in the Philly area and got into gambling, lost a lot of money. I think my dad saw that and wanted to go a different way, so went for stability and also prioritizing a stable family where he could devote most of his time there. Uh, So he uh, went into teaching, uh, was a professor for about 36 years, uh, just retired two years ago. So now he is, funny enough, doing a traveling professorship for this next semester in Boston at Suffolk Law School. So he'll be a little bit closer than usual, uh, which will be nice in the cold winter this upcoming year. Um, But so he, I think, I think from him really just understood that there's more to life than work, uh, that, that family is important. And um, I think I've always thought of myself as motivated to be a little bit higher in my career than maybe where he was comfortable just fitting in and working, but also prioritizing the time when you're not working. Um, so I think that's sort of him. Uh, he lights up a room, super energetic. He can ask a question about anything at any time. And uh, there is never a quiet moment. So uh, he sort of got that side. And then we have my mom on the other side, who is like a saint to all my friends. She is quiet and soft spoken, but also will really deeply penetrate into a conversation with one person, get to know that person mm-hmm. extremely well, 
uh, will end up, that person says, oh, she's the nicest person I've ever met. You know, it's that kind of person uh, where my dad is rolling with the punches, leading the, leading the charge in a lot of social settings, but then she'll corner someone or corner a couple people and find that passion that, that she can bring out in them. Uh, so she was also a lawyer. Uh, she's a little bit younger than my dad, eight years difference. Uh, they met actually through a friend at the University of Denver at the law school. She was a student there, not one of his, luckily, so no conflict of interest. Uh, but she, she was a, a student in the law, stu- uh, law school when he was younger. So um, they met that way at a race, uh, both runners in their previous lives, not any longer, uh, but, but met there. And uh, she stopped working once I was born. Um, much like my dad wanted to prioritize family, providing a really wholesome uh, support system for me and my sister and and did that extremely well. So I grew up with her, you know, ready to be called if I was sick, could pick me up, could uh, make food for me and my friends, was able to host a lot of people because she was there and wanted to cook and host and have a community within my friend group and my sister's friend group. So um, I think, yeah, I don't know. I think from her just sort of learned a little bit about like giving that there's more than just meeting people at a surface level, but that if you really dive down, you can uncover a lot about people. Um, and then there's my sister uh, and definitely will probably blend her into some of the stories I tell a little bit later, but she, uh, she is, I mean, amazing. She's 25 in two weeks. So I was realizing on the walk over here, I need to think about a present for her because uh, getting pretty close to her birthday, also on the 13th, as I mentioned before. Wow, so, so 10 days to be precise. <laughs> so we're, we're getting right there. Um, so she, I think, it's been interesting being an older brother. I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening can understand, and on the other side, people can understand looking up to their older sibling. Um, there is definitely a lot of pressure on the younger sibling. I think um, I've followed a pretty straight and narrow path of what society would traditionally considered to be success in terms of, you know, getting good grades, going to a top school now at Columbia, um, doing all that and succeeding in my career. And so I think she's done a lot of that as well, but has also tried to uh, follow her own path to some extent as well. So um, so I've been encouraging, trying to get her out to New York. She She's happy in Denver. She has a good thing going. Um, you know, she uh, she definitely has done well for herself as well. She's early in her career, went to school, finished college, all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, I think I've had to learn that we have different priorities in some ways. Um, I'm trying to keep going higher and higher and higher. She's saying I'm just working to be able to live. It's, you know, it's that paradigm that I think my parents have exemplified. So uh, in some ways, she's probably doing it better from what lessons they taught us uh, than I am. Uh, so I think just being an older brother you learn a lot about like, I don't know, mentoring, but also like trying to keep hands off in some ways and trying to find that balance between overly imposing your own will on someone and letting them be free, but trying to help them as they go sort of silently in the background. Um, so, so that's my parents. Um, Amazing. And, yeah. Yeah, no, that's so cool. Uh, thank you so much for giving us that insights and painting us a vivid picture because it kind of does set the stage for understanding who you are. Family is so important in terms of understanding who a person is, their kind of values and the things they were brought up with. So one of the things you mentioned a lot um, was where you were from. You talked about Denver, you talked about Colorado. Tell us a little bit about it. I'm sure there are many people in the class who have never been or who have visited, but maybe not had the chance to explore deeply enough. 
what do you love about Colorado? What do you love about Denver? Um, and what do people love about it? Because as you mentioned about true Denvernite, right? Like the city is exploding, the mm -hmm. state is growing rapidly. So kind of paint us a picture about where you're from and what it's yeah. like. Um, so yeah, so as you mentioned, I mean, Colorado has blown up in the last 15, 10 years. Um, it's, you know, Denver is now one of the places that I've heard a lot of classmates even talking about, we're ready to move out there after school. And I think when I was younger, and especially a little bit before that, that would have never been a statement you would have heard a lot of very driven Columbia Business School people saying. So I think seeing the transformation has been really interesting. And I think Denver and Colorado as a whole is often um, bucketed into just being a mountain town. Um, I've heard a lot of people from Columbia saying, oh, I've been to Vail, I've been to Aspen. Those are typically the only two that you hear. Or I've been to Denver briefly as I was going up to the mountains or through the airport. And there's definitely world-class skiing. And, and I was a big skier growing up. And that is definitely a big point of pride for anyone from Colorado is the mountains that we have, the outdoors, both in the winter and the summer. The camping and the hiking and the biking and the climbing are just as good as the skiing. Uh, definitely world-class across the board. Uh, I guess I would say there's a ton of other mountains if you go skiing check a couple others out. They'll be a little more authentic. I think, although I am on the ski board and we'll be going to Aspen in March, which I'm super excited about and encourage everyone to get on the wait list if you're not already. Uh, there are a lot of great mountains that really bring out the towny vibes, the uh, just here to just here to shred, uh, sort of that. I think, I think that mentality that blends a little bit of the Midwest with the West Coast that I think Colorado fits right in the middle of. I think we have a bit of an identity crisis as a state when it comes to are we Midwest, are we West, where do we fit? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I, I tend to take offense when people say we're in the Midwest, no offense to those who are, uh, but also I don't consider myself a Californian by any stretch. So somewhere in the middle, I've been terming it Intermountain, which is the time <laughs> zone, but I don't know if that means anything. <laughs> so, so I think, I mean, I think back to your point though, what, what it means to me, uh, there's a lot of the mountains, of course, but also Denver itself is vibrant. There's a huge culture around uh, being outdoor, uh, being with friends. Uh, there's a lot of good parks, beautiful views of the mountains anywhere you are in the city. Uh, it has a huge craft brew culture. I think at one time it was the number one craft brew city in the country, maybe recently surpassed by Portland or Seattle, but uh, definitely up there. Of course, it has a uh, was the first day with marijuana legalization, so took that gamble back in 2013 and um, has seen some pretty interesting spread across the country since then. Um, and I think generally has just seen an interesting evolution, both as a city becoming more of a business hub from what it was in the 60s and 70s as almost a, a cow town to now being uh, talked about all the time. People are moving there. It's a hot spot. The traffic is getting crazy. Uh, but also I think it's maintaining some of that authenticity that, that is sort of that blend of the Intermountain way, uh, which I love. Amazing, amazing, wow. Thank you so much for painting another vivid, vivid picture for us. Um, so cool. So now I wanna hear a little bit about the story behind your name. It's a question I've asked a lot of my, my guests on the podcast. So tell us, what, what, what is the meaning behind it? And tell us your full name if you have some other names hidden in between yeah. the two. Yeah, so my full name is Spencer Richard Borison. I'll start with the end. I think that's the most clear-cut and interesting story, probably. Uh, Borison is an Ellis Island creation. I mentioned in the past of this, of this podcast that my dad's family came over from the Russian 
Ukrainian Polish side of the world. Uh, so my dad is Jewish, my mom is Christian. Uh, so we have an interesting blended home of the two different religions and a little bit of everything when it comes to the holidays. Uh, from my dad's side though, that's where the name is. So uh, Borison was a creation at Ellis Island uh, in a pretty textbook American immigrant story. Uh, they came in the early 1900s to Ellis Island, came to the desk where the person was writing down the names and giving identification cards or some level of registration and didn't know how to pronounce the name, didn't know how to spell it, more importantly. They were, they were not literate in English. Uh, so the name originally was something close to Svalahovsky. Uh, as you can imagine, there's no easy way to spell that if you're uh, a 25-year-old checking at the registration desk in Ellis Island. So he said, what's your dad's name? Uh, so he said, oh, my dad's name is Boris. So he said, okay, you're the son of Boris. And so Boris' son was, uh, wow. was created right there. Yes, wow. Oh, my goodness. And th that's so fascinating to me and almost like how it used to be done even back in the day even more, right? You used to just take your father's name or your um, the town you were from. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of very poignant and, and, and interesting how that kind of history cycles throughout the years. Next, I want to talk about some of the challenges you had growing up. What were some of the challenges of your upbringing? Because you've painted a picture of quite a um, wholesome, very wholesome, yeah, very yeah. rosy, very nice upbringing. And um, I'm sure living in Colorado or whatever, there were, must have been some challenges growing up. And then also tell me about the best things. I feel like just talking about your family mm -hmm. and your city, you've already told us about some of the really cool yeah. and best things. Yeah. Um, but highlight some of those things as well that we may have missed. Yeah, so I think I think one of the things that doesn't come out anymore, and and I'll speak to why that is, uh, when I was young, and, and honestly still am in some ways internally, I was very shy as a kid. Uh, I grew up, my sister is the loud one, even though she was younger. I have vivid memories at the pool uh, where we used to go in the summer. Uh, there's a snack shack there. I would bring her with me to order the snow cones and the hot dogs because I was too nervous to talk to the people about something as simple as that. Uh, so just a, a small story that so, sort of exemplifies that. And, and I came into high school, I think I had peaked in, in middle school in terms of uh, pre-puberty, was doing well, all the all the ladies used to like me when I was you know 10 years old 11 years old and then I took a, a, a turn for the worse uh, I was a little late to adolescence and so hadn't grown yet to my current 6'2 or anywhere near it uh, ended up coming into school with no confidence in high school uh, was shy was afraid to speak up in class I somehow ended up in a speech and debate class freshman year wow. uh, and I think that took me down a much different road so the first week of class which is also the first week of high school, uh, we're asked to give a three-minute impromptu speech about ourselves. And I remember just being absolutely terrified. Uh, standing up there, I think I was sweating. I was stumbling over my words. I was nervous out of my mind. Uh, definitely as red as a cherry. Uh, I do have rosy cheeks, and so those were really out in full display. Uh, and I think basically throughout that next, next few years, I continued doing things where I was forcing myself to step out of that comfort zone. Uh, it started there, but continued with the speech program for, I think, three years at least. Uh, got into more of a debate type style where we had to present and really defend our points and stand up for ourselves in some ways. And I think that really shaped 
who I am now. And, and when I tell people at school now that I'm an introvert, I think a lot of people are surprised. Um, and, and I think I have sort of forced myself, reprogrammed a bit to become a little bit more extroverted. And it's definitely more comfortable to just sit. So I have to actively say, let's go talk to this person or let's get into this conversation or whatever the situation is. I think it's all about just jumping and taking a risk and making yourself do things you don't want to do. Uh, and, I, and I've I found that I think it started there. And, and so that was definitely a theme throughout a lot of my high school years. Um, started to get a little bit better and I think found myself throughout junior year, senior year. And another program that I'd mention quickly is there was a constitutional law program junior year of high school. And my high school uh, was one of the bigger public schools in Denver. And for some reason, that high school was very well known and competed and won mostly in state and went to nationals in this constitutional law program. Uh, at the time, I didn't really follow the news, wasn't very active in any of that type of world, but got into this program um, and loved it. Uh, ended up doing really well with it. It was the type of thing where you're presenting in a congressional committee room in DC by the time it's all over uh, to judges across Colorado Supreme Court, things like that, that are moments you, you know, you could never think you were going to have. Um, and, you know, we didn't end up winning nationals, but we did well. And uh, was an incredible opportunity, I think, to take some of those lessons I'd learned and maybe make it a more of a team setting where it's not just me presenting anymore, but have to lean on others and see some combination of interests and talents come together into presenting something really meaningfully and impactful. Um, I think that then really spurred my passion for politics and for policy and for the power that the public sector can play in making change and also in history. Um, definitely a history buff, especially with American history. Uh, so I didn't even really think when I was applying to college. I did a poli-sci major, just checked a box. I'm not usually one to think about much. So I just saw the answer, went for it, and never looked back. Uh, so I was a poli-sci major in college. Um, I know I'm rambling a bit off of the original question, but... Yeah, no, I think that is so cool based on what you were saying because I just can't picture it, right? Because anyone who's had the chance to interact with Spencer, you're like the most confident guy. You move with intentionality. You can just like, you kind of ooze this confidence in like talking and it just seems like it comes naturally to you. So I, I still think back to the first time we met and interacted and yeah, you telling that story kind of makes me feel good in a sense that like, wow, people can really overcome things to the point where, wow, you wouldn't even tell a few years later that this guy was too shy to order his snow cone or something. <laughs> but yeah, in incredible, very, very cool. Um, so you were talking a little bit about what your major was and what you were getting into, and we'll talk about that in a second, but what did you want to be when you were younger? Did you have any like sights of what career you wanted when you were a kid? Uh, so I think, you know, I've grown up uh, a big sports fan. Uh, so I think my first real passion which I never pursued in any serious way, which I'll always regret, uh, was I wanted to be the announcer at the Denver Nuggets basketball games. Ah, yes. Uh, and you I have the voice for it. <laughs> I'm not sure if I do. I, I would I would contest that. But I, I always thought that's the best job because you get to sit courtside, which is one of my biggest dreams of all time, at every single game, get to know the players, get to watch all the games. And what is your job? You're just talking about the game. You're getting people hyped up. You're... 
getting the crowd into it. You're Dude, you know getting what? them this to go like again. This is like your audition. <laughs> this could be it. This could be where you're found out. Don't give up on that dream. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. That 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 could be something. <laughs> in so the end. so let me let me keep that in the back pocket because right. I mean, if that ever happens, I'm willing to forgo anything else. So if the Nuggets are listening, please right. please reach out. So, yeah. So I think that was the original thing, and then. Um, once I got into politics a little bit more seriously, was thinking about whether I'd want to get into some sort of political run myself. Mm. Uh, I'm not sure right now where I fall on that. I think I've gone back and forth a little bit over over the years. Uh, I did I did quite a few internships over college, talking about well, not talking about, but experiencing uh, politics, working for different congressmen, both in Denver, Boulder, uh, and also in D.C. for a summer on the Hill. Uh, so really got to see what the process looks like on a local and a federal level. And I think the local stood out to me as being a better opportunity to really do something. I think, as a lot of people can probably relate, the process in Washington right now and, and for the last several decades has been very polarized. And there's really not a lot of meaningful progress that gets done uh, by your day-to-day congressman or senator uh, versus I worked for the mayor and, and the governor in different stints in Colorado and Denver. and saw these people connecting with real individuals day to day, going and meeting with community members, going to events, giving speeches. And it felt a little bit less like kissing the baby than, uh, than the, the ones on the national level did, uh, where you're obliged just to go around quickly and try to raise some funds. Uh, so, so I think if I, if I ever did go back, it would probably be more on a local level, because uh, I think they're less politicized, unfortunately becoming a little bit more perhaps, but uh, definitely have more impact and more ability to really shape something. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So tell us a little bit more about your career before CBS. Yes. So I guess building on on the political stuff. So was interested in that. As I mentioned, did quite a few internships all throughout college. So was never paid for any work I did as an intern. Uh, so just a plug uh, that that should hopefully be changed one day in the future to open that opportunity to more people. Um, so my first paid thing was when I graduated. Uh, I, I had taken on a business minor, and I think part of the disillusion of the federal level internship brought me to think maybe I don't want to go directly into this. Mm-hmm. And also, much like not paying an intern, they also don't pay well at all for the lower levels within a congressional office. I think you were maybe going to make 24k in DC, which for anyone in New York, it's almost the same. Uh, so. It's not, <laughs> it's not livable by any standard of, of what we're used to. Um, and so I wasn't willing to take that, that hit that early, uh, given that I was fairly disillusioned with the whole thing. Uh, I, wasn't, I didn't have the passion to drive me to take on that, that martyrdom, almost, you would say. Uh, so, so got into consulting uh, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, I was told by a couple mentors that consulting is fairly open option. Uh, you can work on a variety of different projects, work across sectors, work with a bunch of different teams. You never have to be on anything for too long. Uh, So for me, as someone that had no idea what the next step really needed to look like, I figured that was a good place to start. Uh, So my career was sort of split between two different things. And I was was at the same firm, a British firm uh, based in London that has a couple offices in the US called PA Consulting. Uh, Not super well known here. So if you've never heard of it and you are recruiting and consulting, they do have a New York office. but. Otherwise, you wouldn't have heard of it, I'm sure. Uh, they, uh, they sort of put me first, less in a consulting role than I had expected uh, for the first two, two and a half years, and more into a financial analyst position. 
within the energy markets team. So doing way more Excel crunching and financial modeling and putting together investment decks and pitching to investors and clients than I expected. Uh, that was definitely something where I learned a ton and was just showing off my hot key skills to some learning team members yesterday. But, but I would say outside of some of the skills that I gained that I think are incredibly valuable, uh, wasn't exactly what I wanted to do in the long term. Uh, so I started getting the idea that maybe there were better opportunities to do true consulting work where you're working hand in hand with people and solving problems with clients on site, helping them navigate some of the challenges that, that they're working on. Uh, if I left the Denver office, so uh, was able to make a very good relationship with one of the partners who had some sway. It's a small company, so very relationship based. And he got me on a project in Seattle. Um, GT was nice enough to tell me that I needed to start acknowledging my significant other early. I think I maybe have made it to the middle without doing so. So this is where she comes in. Uh, so uh, was on a project for four months in Seattle. Uh, my first engagement really where I had been outside of the Denver office and where I was truly doing real consulting work as you would envision it. Uh, and day one walked into the office there's this beautiful woman standing nearby where my desk was, and I immediately had some interest. Um, ended up a few weeks later organizing a happy hour with the whole office because uh, we were a very small contingent of this larger consulting consortium team. Uh, so she was with Accenture, which I'm sure many of you know is a much larger firm. So they had, this was a major program, so they probably had 75 consultants and we had about three. Uh, so if I was going to do anything social with young people, it was going to be bringing out some Accenturites uh, to the party. So got a couple of them to come out. Uh, we had about a dozen people at a bar. I made sure she was coming because my real goal uh, of organizing the happy hour was to chat with her outside of the office because you can't ask someone out in an office if you've never really spoken to them because it's sort of awkward. Uh, it can be pretty uncomfortable and unprofessional if it goes wrong. Uh, so I wanted to get her out where we could have a real conversation, see how it went. And it went great. Uh, we started dating pretty much immediately. Uh, her name is Allison. She is an amazing, amazing person. Um, we, we moved actually to New York. I was planning on transferring to the New York office within PA before I went on to that four month project. So sort of had it already in the works and the HR paperwork was filed and told her that as we started dating that, hey, you know, at the end of this little honeymoon, I'm going to be moving to New York, so we're going to have to make some tough choices here. And she, coming from Atlanta in a Georgia Tech background, had always wanted to come back to the East Coast. Uh, she'd sort of left after college to get away and try something new, very, very far away from home, uh, where she could be her own person, but uh, was always wanting a, a dip into New York City. And I think very coincidentally and luckily, uh, signed up to move out there with me uh, after us only having dated for three or four months at that point. Uh, and, and so, so yeah, we moved in together, which I know is not good advice to someone <laughs> to do after three or four months of dating. Uh, but, but we had a feeling it would go well. And uh, now three and a half years later, uh, things are, things are good. Uh, we, I guess I'll just continue going with the story while I'm here. But so we, uh, we got engaged over the summer. Uh, Congrats. Which, uh, which was amazing. I sort of found this little lull between quitting work in July and starting school in August where we took a trip out to Italy and also sort of in between waves of COVID where it was pre-Delta and there was not as many restrictions, sort of this golden window, I would mm -hmm. say, both in my own personal life and then also 
uh, in the COVID surges that have been coming back. Uh, so we're able to go to Italy. Um, two great things happened there. First was the second night she arrived, uh, Milan, we were there in the streets when Italy won the Euro Cup. Wow, uh, incredible. Yes, total coincidence, uh, but also uh, it's one of those lifetime moments that you'll never forget when you're out in the main square in the middle of Milan with the Duomo behind you. People are lighting off fireworks, waving flags, chanting and cheering until, I couldn't tell you, 6 a.m. And then probably still people are arriving. Uh, so <laughs> really, really an unbelievable experience. Yes. Um, and then two days later, went to the Cinque Terre and uh, got down on a knee and made the best decision I've ever made. Oh. So um, yeah, really great trip. Got to just disconnect from the world and sort of process that I was moving into this next chapter and have her there for all of that and get to process that with her. And also then sort of, you know, most of our trip was then celebrating, getting engaged. So it doesn't get a lot better than going into Italy, drinking a lot of red wine, eating a lot of food and enjoying summer with your fiance in Italy. So uh, good, good times. Incredible. Thank you so much. I loved hearing that story. And um, it leads me on perfectly to my next question about what actually inspired you to pursue an MBA and why did you want to come to CBS? Uh, yeah, so, so I, think, I think a couple reasons, um, and, and I guess it depends if you, if one were to ask me in my essays versus reality, because uh, I'm sure we all can relate with that. Uh, I think, you know, coming from Colorado to the East Coast with a small firm, uh, there's not a lot of community within you know, I'm not joining a massive company where there's hundreds of people my age around the office or around the area and a ton of people who used to work there where you have a broad network immediately. Uh, this was a smaller company where there's about 40 people and probably only about a dozen who are somewhere in the age range that we are. Uh, so not a ton of people to hang out with. So had a little bit of trouble getting off the ground and COVID didn't help with that at all. Uh, so definitely wanted to both professionally and socially just have a deeper community. Um, I think for me, making making connections, building relationships is really the most important thing about CBS. And I came in with high hopes and definitely have had them exceeded uh, just in terms of the types of people that go to this school from so many different backgrounds, some that I can relate to very closely and some that are so interesting and different and really push me to rethink my assumptions about the world and what people view as challenges and opportunities can be so different. Um, so, you know, me, me talking about being shy has no comparison to what some people have gone through to get here. And I think understanding that and getting to connect with these people, uh, whether it's over a drink or whether it's at a, an event or it's in class, you know, all these different experiences that we have together, it's only been four months and it feels like we've been in school a long time um, in such a good way. So I would say that was the big one. And then I think also just sort of stepping back out, realizing, okay, maybe consulting, I, need, I want to take a break from it. I think I really did like it, uh, but there's so many different other things you can do in your career. And I think I didn't have the desire to stay down one company for one career. Uh, so I think I could have done fine there if I had stayed and probably done perfectly well for myself, but, but wanted to try a new challenge. And I think coming from University of Colorado in Boulder, uh, there's again uh, not a, not a huge network out here. So, and I think it's also sometimes bucketed for better or for worse into just a it's not a New York or East Coast school. It's a state school somewhere out west uh, bucket, which 
yeah, that's fair. I mean, we, we have our own thing going, but but it's it's cool. Uh, but but definitely doesn't open a lot of doors, I think. So if you're talking to a recruiter or you're doing a random resume drop, you're not going to get very far usually uh, with that on that and an unknown consulting firm on your resume. So getting to put the brand and having the network and the community that Columbia provides in New York and the East Coast, I mean, it's massively valuable. So um, that mixed with just all the different people and experiences I have, it's so far been a great decision. Incredible. Spencer, you speak with so much passion. If people just randomly meet you, one of the first things they can tell is how passionate you are about certain topics, about life. Tell us, what are those things that drive you? What are you so passionate about? What are those things that get you excited? Yeah, so I think, I mean, definitely, like I mentioned, the relationships are key. Um, I, I've tried to get to know as many people as I can within the Columbia community and and hopefully have done an okay job at it. Um, trying Just trying to build relationships. I mean, everybody has a different story, and I think understanding that and also just having a deep community, especially coming from being a shy kid where I had a smaller social group in the early stages of high school to realizing that there's just so much out there and there's so many cool people doing any type of thing you want to do. There's people that want to do it. So I think that really motivates me. Uh, to get up in the morning and try to make a new friend or connect with somebody I've already met and haven't talked to in a while or, you know, even just sit out on the Euro steps and catch people as they're coming in and out of doing the studying I should be doing. <laughs> um, I think that's that's a big part. And I think also just I, I feel some some pressure in myself, both self-motivated more than anything, because as I mentioned, my parents wanted me to do well, but never cared if I was a millionaire or super successful uh, they just wanted me to get to a point where I could be comfortable. Uh, I've always had the drive to be very successful uh, that I think maybe was just for myself more than pushed from my family. Uh, so in some ways that does motivate me and, and definitely maybe it's not all money, but it's definitely just achieving, uh, trying to live up to the standard. I think I think especially coming from a family where there was an immigration and you started, you know, dad's dad was a gambler, lost all the money. My mom's family was pretty modest from like a farming house up in upstate New York. I mean, we don't we don't come from the means that that perhaps some do. Um, and I mean, we were very comfortable. But I think continuing that upward trajectory is something I feel sort of just wanting to be responsible for within my family line. Uh, coming from immigrants new to the country, not speaking English, to gambling to becoming a professor living a middle-class life to maybe the next step up i think that's something that it's my contribution along the line is to try to do a little bit better uh, and to give back a little bit more and to connect with more people and uh, and just have a good time doing it i think more than anything very cool do you have someone who inspires you hmm i mean other than you it's hard to say <laughs> gt <laughs> um i you know i i think I think honestly, some some combination of of my sister and my fiance, and and those are distinct in some ways, uh, but definitely have some of the same qualities. Um, and and I think, as I was just mentioning, you know, sort of that drive to be successful often leads me to wanting to prioritize work and figuring out a way to the top above taking time to reflect, taking time for yourself, taking time for friends and family. And I think especially, well, really both of them, but you know, there's, there's so much that you can learn from someone that's incredibly emotionally intelligent. 
which I think Allison, my fiance, is is the most of anyone I know, um, and and she she inspires me because she realizes that there's a lot of important things in life that don't come from a paycheck, don't come from working until 9 p.m. on a Friday night. You know, you can you can succeed and you can find a lot of happiness in life from things that are outside of that immediate straight line realm. Uh, so I think she has really helped me to come to terms with the fact that, you know, being the richest man or the most successful man is something. It's it's a notable achievement, but it's really not the only thing that matters in life. And mm-hmm. I think it's reshaped the way I've approached this next chapter at Columbia, where I had originally put in my essays, I wanted to do PE or investment banking, and have done very little to that effort now, because I think while it has some really immediate, obvious benefits with the financial and potential career options down the line, it it may not give me the happiness from what I personally want for my career. Uh, that that's something where I'm able to connect with people and make you know being a manager or a leader in some organization. Uh, that that's what would really get me up in the morning. Yeah. So what are you thinking now um, in terms of post career, um, post CBS career? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's an evolving question. I definitely am not, I'm not decided yet, I would say. I've, I've been looking a little bit all around. I think want to take the consulting background and look a little bit more into a strategy role in-house somewhere. Uh, still trying to figure out what that industry or company would be. Uh, I've definitely got some ideas, uh, maybe something. So I was doing a lot of energy work, as I mentioned briefly. So something in sustainability would be really exciting. Um, or potentially within the food and beverage industry, uh, trying to figure out if that would mean a bigger company and getting into some leadership development rotation kind of program where I think they would really push you and expose you to a lot of things that could be a very good learning experience. And then from there, you can decide what makes sense a few years out of school for the next step. Uh, Or maybe it's joining a smaller startup or starting something of my own where every day is a new challenge, every day you're making what you want of the day and and pushing yourself for your own in service of yourself and a small team uh, versus a larger organization and between the two i'm not sure uh we'll see uh maybe we can have a 113th podcast where we follow up on this one but uh we'll see we'll see yes, about that one cannot wait till that cannot wait to that do you have any hidden talents is there anything that uh, maybe a hobby or passion of yours that someone would not know by just talking to you or meeting you? Uh, so so I just thought of one, and I, I, I knew this question was coming. So one, I, I guess I'll give two. Uh, one is that I grew up with a ping pong table in my basement, and I had a best friend growing up named Andy who lived right across the street from me. So we would spend, especially in the colder months of the winter, honestly an unforgivable amount of time playing ping pong Uh I don't want to even estimate, but maybe somewhere in the ten hours a week range. Oh um, so I I have had I have had some skills developed that I can employ when needed. I'm sure someone in this class could beat me, but for anyone that has truly made it this far in the podcast and is still listening, it's an open invitation to challenge me. Um, and I, and I think the other one would be um, I, I found, and maybe this is just a one-off luck, but I think I'm pretty good at guessing where people fall within their sibling line. Interesting. So, and, and I don't want you to challenge me right now, <laughs> right? <laughs> or else it'll all be exposed. But uh, 
anecdotally, I, I guessed all the people on my learning team's position within their sibling, you know, who's the oldest, who's the middle, wow. who's the youngest. And maybe that was just a lucky streak, but uh, maybe there's something you can tell about people from how they present themselves that would indicate where they fall within. Are they the oldest sibling? Are they the youngest somewhere in the middle? I don't know. Maybe that was luck, but that's, that's sort of a funny one that I discovered recently. Amazing. Very cool. So uh, regarding the ping pong, I want to say that I heard that there was an Olympian ping pong player, like either in our class, maybe not in our class, but in Colombia who may have recently graduated. So if you are listening or if you know who they are, (laughs) identify them so uh, we can uh, can embarrass embarrass Spence and humble him a little bit. (laughs) Awesome. Um, Do you have any favorite quotes or any piece of advice someone gave to you that really stuck with you um let me know if you have anything that falls in those buckets yeah i think the the thing that i always come back to that that pushes me where i think especially for people like ourselves at columbia where you have very high expectations for yourself uh, there's often the possibility that you'll continue to be chasing and maybe are often not satisfied and there was a quote that uh, was once in the honestly in the weight room at in University of Colorado, uh, very simple uh, progress, not perfection. Mm. Uh, and I think for that, for me, that always resonated. Both while I'm working out, I'm not the best looking guy pumping iron at the gym. Uh, there's mega mammoths who are doing big things that are making me look small and weak. Uh, but also just in life, I think um, you know we are imperfect in every way as people and as young people especially still trying to figure out and make mistakes and understand what what gets us up in the morning and what motivates us and taking risks and failing sometimes and learning from those things and and never really finding that perfect thing Uh, it doesn't exist so I I think you know just like with recruiting and your next job there's always going to be something you wish was different there's always going to be something with relationships you build where maybe you wish they didn't do that one thing and I think you just have to realize that imperfection is part of the game and uh, find as much solace in the fact that you are working to make yourself better you're working to acknowledge those differences or uh, those maybe perceived disappointments and and that you're making progress towards perfection and and that although you'll never reach it uh, one step at a time dude I love it I love it that's so deep very profound and very important lesson, I think, to a happy life and uh, a, a life where you're able to take account of the progress you have made. Incredible, thank you. Now I wanna kind of open it up for you uh, to tell us a story. Uh, this is the story time segment of the pod, so feel free to tell us a story. It can cover any theme you like. It can be funny, inspiring, happy, sad, uplifting, gratitude, whatever you want. Just okay. tell us a story. Okay, um, I guess I've got two quick ones uh, that come to mind. So one, and, and happy to go into more detail or share videos uh, with anyone that wants to see this one. I, uh, as I said, a very big skier. Up until this point, thought I was a very good skier. And now I'm not so sure. Uh, but about four years back, was in California for what was supposed to be a four-day ski trip with my dad and one of my cousins who lives out in the Lake Tahoe area. Uh, and was on a smaller mountain called Mount Rose, which is on the Nevada side, so much less known than I think a lot of people would think of the California side mountains. Uh, We were looking at, you know, taking the same lift up for most of the morning, looking at this set of two large terrain park jumps, 
And each time we went over it, I was thinking, oh, you know, I would love to do it. It's right on the edge of my comfort zone in terms of size, like very big, but not not Olympic size or anything, but definitely a, a serious launch that you have to commit to. So we went in for lunch. I had one Bloody Mary, which didn't do much other than just taking that one little edge off of the fear where I said, all right, I'm doing it. Um, so did it, uh, nailed it. I mean, perfect. Like the best thing I've ever done on the mountain. One, two, landed, most exhilarating feeling of my life. Uh, my dad and my cousin said, oh, we totally missed it. We want to film it like that. That sounded so awesome. We didn't even see it. Like we want to get a picture of it or something, get it on video. So then unfortunately I was asked to do it again, uh, which if you've ever done a big ski jump, I think you realize that uh, you'll often be approaching the jump and as you're getting right up to the edge, you start instinctively slowing down a little bit because you're nervous and you don't want to overshoot or you're just afraid by the, the size of it. Uh, so I started uh, doing that in the first round, uh, but then on the second one, I had the confidence uh, because I'd already landed it. So I said, well, I'm not afraid anymore. I know what I'm doing. Uh, so then I went a little bit faster, checked my speed and slowed down a little bit less and completely overshot the landing, probably about a 40 foot jump and basically landed on the flats uh, on the on the part. You know, if you know a ski jump, it slants down. You're supposed to land in that slant so you don't really take the brunt of the impact. And then it's a very smooth landing. I went beyond that point where it's back to the normal mountain and it's flat again, uh, landed on that and rolled down the hill uh, about 100 feet, was lying there for a while. Uh, you know, if you've ever had a major wipeout, you'll know that you're sort of sitting and assessing your body, uh, moving your shoulders, moving your neck, saying, okay, things are good. No broken neck, that's good. My wrists are fine, that's great. Shoulders feel good. Working your way down and realizing, okay, my knees are a little sore, I'm not gonna lie. My legs feel stiff. Uh, but adrenaline is pumping, so uh, you're not feeling probably what you should be feeling. Mm -hmm. So as, as a Coloradan, and I think this ties together from my earlier saying I'm very prideful in being a Coloradan and a skier, the worst thing for me in life would be to get carried down on one of those stretchers by the mm -hmm. ski patrol <laughs> because you look as, a, as someone from Colorado and say, like, what an idiot or, you know, what are they doing? Why, why did they think they could do that? Like, they're way out of their comfort zone and way out of their class trying to do this run. So there were some ski patrol people who, as I mentioned, it was just under the lift. They saw me. They said, hey, we're going to bring you down. Uh, we should uh, be down in just a minute. Just stay tight uh, and we'll be there in a second to take you down. And I yelled up, no, no, I'm fine. All good. I'll meet you guys at the bottom. We can check it out there. Uh, so I got up and started skiing down. And it's a weird feeling when both legs are broken because uh, although you have that adrenaline, it feels a little wobbly. Uh, so oh. I, <laughs> I would say it felt honestly a little bit like you were drunk, maybe a little bit. You're, you just don't quite have that steadiness and the firmness when you're turning and braking and the oh, things you do. Oh my goodness. Uh, so I did make it to the bottom, which is one of my more prideful things, <laughs> although super reckless and stupid. Um, got to the bottom, hobbled into the ski lodge, and then was in total denial that I had hurt myself for another day and a half. So I was walking with two ACE bandages wrapped around my knees, uh, but that was it. And on Sunday night, we decided to cut the trip a little short. My dad said, hey, you're still not really feeling better. Maybe we'll go in. I was still in denial, but did finally agree to go in. So we went into the hospital, 
learned I had two broken legs. Oh my um, so that uh, that was unfortunate. That I'll say Colorado that. Colorado <laughs> pride. Oh my goodness. And uh, <laughs> I, I've uh, I have been back skiing. I was in a wheelchair for about a month, which oh is a very humbling experience, and I think really opens your mind to how how difficult it is for people with serious physical limitations. Uh, and I think has given me appreciation for how strong those people are because there's, I think one small side story I'll tell about that is I, I was sitting in a wheelchair where my legs were fully locked in extension in these two braces. I didn't have surgery, but they were they were under some big rat, uh, big guards or whatever you want to call them. And they were often showing because they'd be outside of my jeans. So when I'd go to a bar, it was immediately obvious that this was not a permanent disability, that I had had an injury so in Colorado, of course, people are coming up. Oh, dude, what did you do? You know, were you were you ski jumping? Where were you? Like, what kind of stuff did you get into? And they were buying me drinks and celebrating that I had come out to the bar and all this stuff. And then the one time that I didn't wear them, no one talked to me. I think people were people are uncomfortable addressing that there may be a real injury that isn't just temporary, but that is a permanent disability. Uh, because it was not nearly as obvious if you don't wow. see the injury and the yeah. guards. So I was sitting there by myself for probably 30 minutes at a bar and realized, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. And so I think, you know, just something to think about uh, for anyone still listening at this point in the podcast is uh, these people that are in wheelchairs or that have significant physical disabilities. I mean, I don't speak for them when I say this. Uh, they probably each have their own opinions, but at least from my point of view, uh, don't treat them differently uh, in in the way of ignoring what is clearly a physical limitation. You don't have to ignore them because you don't want it to be uncomfortable. I think asking questions, bringing them into the conversation and hearing their perspective and, and then treating them the way that they express they want to be treated is is key. Um, so, so that was definitely an interesting learning experience for me. Um, but I have, on a lighter note, been back to the skiing. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm on the ski board, so we'll be bringing people... Uh, hopefully safely down the mountain in Aspen <laughs> and also throughout the rest of the year. So excited to Amazing. ski with anyone that makes it out there with us. So cool. Thank you so much for sharing those stories. I think that was very, very deep. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see that video. Um, <laughs> crazy that the perfect one wasn't caught on camera, but that's life. Um, now I want to ask you to, I just want to give you some space to give some shout outs. Um, this is the gratitude section of the podcast. Mm. Just give some love, give some gratitude. Yeah, I mean, I think I think more than anything, of course, would give gratitude to my parents, uh, my mom and my dad, as well as my sister and Alice and my fiance. Uh, those are definitely my my rocks. All four of them. I talk to well, I live with Allison, so obviously see her a lot, but I uh, talk to the rest of them uh, every couple of days, definitely multiple times a week, and. It's always, you know, it brings you right back and helps me get through when I'm angry or when I'm frustrated or when I'm happy as well to celebrate things uh, like getting into Columbia and one of the best conversations I've had with my parents. So uh, they're, those people definitely ground me and keep me honest with who I am. Um, and, and I think more than that, probably just a shout out to Cluster A23, um, not only the A team, which some would argue, just makes us the best innately uh, in being first, uh, but also power through those 8.30 classes we've had Monday through Thursday all semester, uh, much to our dismay. And I think, honestly, just 
super solid group of people, uh, both in Cluster A and across the class. Uh, shout out to everyone for being open to meeting new people, being welcoming, uh, being interesting and fun to be around. And I'm excited for next semester. And once we move into a nice big building that's new and shiny and we can look out to the river from class and uh, it's going to be nice. I'm excited to take the next step with everyone. Amazing. Thank you so much for um, those shout outs to everyone. I think um, you're definitely one of the funnest people in the class to be around. And I really, really implore people to try and meet Spencer. Um, you won't regret it. It's going to be a great conversation. The guy is just so fun to talk to. Now, I want to ask, what should someone in the class reach out to you for help about? Uh, I think, you know, anything with consulting. As someone that liked consulting but left it, I think I have probably a unique perspective in that most people that have done a consulting stint left because they didn't like it. Uh, I did like it. So uh, if you want to hear, I guess, the good and the bad, I can probably give a more wholesome picture uh, than a lot of people who might have consulting experience, like my fiance, who wouldn't have much good to say about it. Um, so I think that also, of course, if you are one of those people who are joining the wave and are moving to Colorado or somewhere in that area, definitely let me know because there's a lot of great neighborhoods and depending on what you're into and you're, if you're starting to look for a summer internship there or uh, to move out there, happy to help. Or if you're going to do a ski trip somewhere out west, whether that's Colorado, Park City, even parts of California, I, uh, other than one big injury, have had a lot of experience <laughs> there that's positive. So can definitely share a lot of those things and uh, talk about all that. So I think those two probably, and, and just to chat, whatever you want to do. Amazing. Okay, so to end the podcast as is customary, please give us three book recommendations and tell us why you like them. All right. Uh, so I think I'll start, you know, there, there's a lot of good books out there. Um, I'll, I'll start by saying mostly what I read now uh, is unfortunately not the accounting and finance textbooks that are recommended. <laughs> I never made it through the ones I rented, so probably won't be doing that in the future. Um, but I, I read a lot of The Economist magazine. I would say that's not a book, but you can learn a lot. Uh, and, and we see those, those articles coming up all over in global economic environment and other classes and just helps paint a better picture of the world that you'll understand more of what's going on and Rather than just reading headlines, you're actually seeing different countries and different problems that people all over the world are facing rather than just the U.S. or a little bit of Europe. There's a lot going on that I think you miss if you only are looking at headlines. Mm. Um, so that's one, um, although it's not a book. The other, um, I would say Enron. It's called The Smartest Guys in the Room. Uh, that is both a super interesting read and, and also paints an interesting picture of how we got to our current uh, I guess, regulatory regime around financial reporting, accounting, has a lot of overlap with accounting and finance classes as well in the core. And, and for me, as someone who is interesting in, and interested in energy, it, I mean, those guys really did do a lot of market manipulation and things that were very legal at the time, uh, but took advantage of things and worked within a gray area like no one else did. Uh, so they made a lot of money, had a big rise, a big fall. And I think much like the recession, it was sort of a predecessor to some of the banks doing similar things with mortgage-backed securities and subprime lending and things like that. I think it's got a lot of overlaps, but maybe a story that you haven't heard as much as some of the financial sector stuff in 2007 through 2009. Uh, so that one is a good one. Um, and I think also 
I was debating between a couple, but one that I would mention would be 1984. And I think that, I mean, that's a classic, of course, and I'm sure a lot of people have read it and uh, don't think too much about that recommendation, but definitely a great book if you haven't, I think continues to be more and more uh, relatable as uh, technology continues to be more and more pervasive, data and the knowledge of who the customer is, is now being owned by just a few large companies in the tech space and, and governments have a lot of ability to track you and keep an eye on different things you're doing. Uh, there's a lot of themes there that resonate more today than they probably did when the book was published. Uh, so that's an interesting one. Also, just a good read. It's, it's, it's a pretty nice story, um, although it's, it's dark and deep at some times. But uh, those are the three. Uh, so take a look at those. Amazing. Wow. <clears throat> this has just been such a fantastic conversation, Spencer. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts, your background, your ideas with us today. I'm just so grateful for your time and I, I really do hope people reach out to you and I'm just going to say thank you so much for being on the podcast. The final words are yours. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, this was the first one I've ever done. So super fun. I uh, encourage others to share their stories, whether that's here uh, with GT, who I can't thank enough and I think deserves a special shout out designated on the back end. Uh, so shout out to GT for pulling this out of nowhere and putting together what has been a really consistent piece of the first semester and I think people look forward to on a weekly basis um, and then yeah I mean put yourself out there uh, do do follies if you're uncomfortable performing do CBS matters if you're uncomfortable sharing and consider getting on this podcast if you want something in between so um, yeah excited to meet more of you and uh, excited for the future thanks Cold summer night, should've put my arm around your shoulder I'll just hold ya Cause last night I was thinking all these things I'm not supposed to I guess I didn't see it coming Guess I was afraid of loving someone again Falling, sinking